Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in Education. I'm Trevor Matea, one of your hosts on the channel. Today we'll be talking to Tim Walker about his book, Teach Like Finland, 33 Simple Strategies for Joyful Classrooms. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I wonder if we can begin the interview by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm an American teacher living in Finland. I'm married to a Finnish woman and we live in Finland with our two young children. During the summer of 2013, my wife and I moved from the Boston area to Helsinki with our one-year-old at the time. And in Helsinki, I taught fifth and sixth graders for two years at a public school. Then during the summer of 2015, we moved about 200 miles north to the city of Kuopio, where my wife is now finishing up her graduate studies. And since we moved to Kuopio, I've, I've taken a break from teaching to focus on writing. And uh, over the course of this last year, I finished up my book, Teach Like Finland. I have to say, I've really, I've really been missing the classroom since we moved from Helsinki, but I'm, I'm happy to report that when we move back to Helsinki this summer, I'll uh, return to the classroom in the fall. I'm interested in the fact that you were obviously a student in the United States and you taught in the United States before you ever taught in Finland. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work as a teacher, and which of your experiences in school most shaped your views on the purpose of public schools before your experience in Finland? I'd start by saying that I didn't study education as an undergraduate student, but it was through an experience of being a teaching assistant for a sociology professor and a social work professor that my eyes were open to this sort of other world of education. I'd always seen um, education from the, the viewpoint of a learner. And when I found myself trying to facilitate discussions and, and leading study groups, I found myself fascinated by just the, the demands of teaching, you know, helping someone learn something. And so after I graduated from college, I signed up as a substitute teacher. And I was teaching in this urban school district and I was given the opportunity to be a long-term substitute teacher. Uh, I, I was a computer teacher. And so that's w- where I got my feet wet. And I think, you know, my, my mom, she's a preschool teacher today. She, she once was a kindergarten teacher, but I had always been around teaching. But I have to say that I didn't necessarily respect it when I was a student. I somehow thought that teaching young children was perhaps not as intellectually demanding as, as, uh, as I know it to be today. And so it was through those early teaching experiences that I, I would say that I fell in love with the teaching profession. I saw how, how difficult and challenging and satisfying it can be. And um, so I think that's, that's where my journey started. After being this long-term sub, 
in this uh, urban district, I, I moved on to a private school where I taught first and second graders. And um, I was at that school for four years, but I had a very rocky beginning there. It's something that I write about in Teach Like Finland. And for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Posse Salberg, who writes the foreword for your book, can you tell us a bit about his research and his critique of Finnish and American education systems? Yeah, sure. Posse has done a lot of work over the years in, in sort of unpacking the lessons that the world can learn from from studying Finnish schools. Um, he's sort of the unofficial, I'd say, education ambassador for Finland around the world. And he has really helped people understand the Finnish policies and I would say the different sort of school level practices that sort of have have been a real a real strength for for Finland for the last decades also over the last few decades and he's also really helped people understand um, the history of Finland's educational successes i think in my book i i wanted to focus on sort of the the micro level view of of finnish schools so posse is is focused on helping people understand Finnish schools at, let's say, the macro or the meso level. And I uh, wanted to help people sort of have uh, develop an appreciation and understanding for what Finnish schools look like um, at the ground level. As I was reading your book, it kind of became clear to me that what makes a good teacher or great learning outcomes in Finland and the United States may be perceived to be different. And so can you talk a little bit about what you think makes a good teacher and what makes great learning outcomes and what are the differences with what people are pursuing in these two countries? Finland has now just implemented its new national core curricula this year, or new national core curriculum for basic education, which spans grades one to nine. So that core curriculum framework is now implemented this school year. And, you know, it's amazing. It's one of the things that it's emphasizing is the joy of learning. It's seeking to encourage students to take more ownership of their learning. You know, one, one of the things you don't see as, as sort of a, a key em- emphasis is sort of achievement and, uh, and rigor. Often in the United States, I would hear a lot of talk about, um, you know, raising student achievement. And you, you hear about uh, student test scores and how important they are. But in Finland... Those are not the the things that you hear educators discussing. There truly is, I've found, to be more of an emphasis on the well-being of children. And so you see that in the school setting, evidenced by you know, the, the free, healthy lunches for, for all students in Finland. You see that evidenced by frequent 15-minute breaks throughout each school day, where it's, it's common that a, a child has... Uh, a 15-minute break for every 45 minutes of uh, classroom instruction. You see that in the short school days for kids, um, the the relatively light homework loads. So I think that there's this appreciation in Finland for promoting the well-being of children in a way that I'm not accustomed to in the United States. And why do you think they're so focused on the on the well-being? Is it that they want children to have a, a more pleasant experience in the here and now, or because they think it will ultimately achieve better outcomes into the future? I think there's this understanding that when humans take care of themselves, um, that ultimately 
ultimately they will be better off and that there will be better outcomes in the end. Um, I would say that that is the that is the understanding. Um, I mean, one one thing that's important to note is that standardized testing is is basically absent in Finnish schools. The only time that you will see standardized testing or high stakes standardized testing is at the end of a student's high school career, and and so largely. Finnish students are not taking standardized tests throughout their entire career. That means that teachers are not having to evaluate their students using these standardized tests as well. So I think that the emphasis on standardized tests in the United States certainly impacts the way that we view what's important, you know, and what sort of like a good learning outcome is. Of course, in Finland, we have, you know, there are grades but standardized test scores is not something that we have until uh, until the end of high school. I was struck by part of your book where you talked about uh, teachers needing to clock in and clock out of school. Yeah. And uh, they were being assured that the number of hours and, and minutes spent at school wasn't being taken into account when they were being evaluated by their supervisors, but they were just keeping track of it. And of course, this is a, a nudge for people to spend more and more time at school. And then uh, the test scores are another metric we can use to measure who's a good teacher, who's producing these learning outcomes. Right. How are teachers evaluated in Finland if no one's really looking to see if they're there at three or four o'clock in the afternoon? And if there are no test scores that can be used to compare their students to those in other classrooms? That's a great question. Evaluation looks very different um, than than it does in American schools, generally speaking. You know, you have teachers who sit down with their principal for a conversation. That's what I saw when I was teaching in, in Helsinki. The the evaluation was was simply a scheduled conversation with the principal, and she would uh, or or he would go over the year and with with that teacher and and sort of reviewing <laughs> reviewing uh, how everything went in in a sort of open ended way and then they would discuss sort of next steps uh and things that the the teacher could focus on in the future so i think one thing too that you don't see in finland is prescriptive standards so you actually in finland there there aren't standards there are key aims and uh, objectives uh, in in a curriculum framework but you don't find the sort of prescriptive standards that you and benchmarks that you'd find in uh, let's say the common the common core state standards and uh in in sort of uh, these different state frameworks in the united states i think there there's something there's a connection there between how um we view in the United States, the work of teachers and the work of students, I think there is a lot of hand-holding. I think that there's a belief that you need to have a, a tight rein on, on what teachers and students are doing. Whereas in Finland, I think that there's this understanding that individuals need to be given the leeway to sort of find, find their way and have success. I'm not saying it's, it's perfect, but it, but it is in in my understanding so much more open ended um and it really looks 
it looks like a conversation between a teacher and, and uh, the principal. And how about for assessing students? I think some of our American teachers who are listening might be thinking, oh, like I would love to be promoting happiness rather than achievement. But yeah, because they're right. so accustomed to working in the U.S., they might be thinking, how can I measure happiness? How can I quantify joy, you know, and produce more objective metrics? How do the Finnish teachers themselves know that they're doing a good job? Is it just like they have a sense that more students are smiling today, <laughs> laughing today? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What does success yeah. look yeah. like? Yeah. Well, I, I have to say that it's not um, even though. The, so the emphasis. So here's here's the surprising thing. I mean, the emphasis is right now on. Um, I would say one of one of one of the things that Finnish schools are emphasizing is the joy of learning. But I have to say that that doesn't mean that school is this very happy place for Finnish kids. Actually, one of the reasons why I think Finland is prioritizing the joy of learning is because they've found that there are Finnish kids who are really not engaged by school. They're, they're bored. They actually have great sort of satisfaction outside of school but when it comes to their school experience they're they're not happy um and so there's also i think this this recognition that teaching practices in finland need to change that they have been traditional and textbook driven for some time and um and that really needs to change so i would say that finnish education right now is in is sort of on the move it's hard to hard to say kind of exactly how things are going to go. I would say that in, in regards to your question, how do Finnish teachers know that they're teaching well and on the right track? You know, each school has its own curriculum, which has been informed by the National Core Curriculum Framework. And um, so teachers are referring to that curriculum. They're also referring to materials that they see as high quality. I think that's one thing that struck me, you know, teaching in Finland, teachers here have in general, just a pretty healthy perspective on commercial curricula. They seem to embrace it in a way, um, in a way that I'm not used to seeing in, in the States. And so it's, it's common to see them designing their own summative assessments. And uh, that, that's another thing that I was really surprised to see, that, that um, Finnish teachers, even, even uh, at the elementary school level, you see them testing their students and grading their students quite often, and they're doing that across the subjects. So that's definitely one area where Finnish teachers get feedback by designing their own summative assessments and then you know, giving them to the kids and then um, gathering feedback that way. wanted to add that there is now a greater emphasis on formative assessment in, in the new National Core Curriculum framework in Finland. So you have teachers who are who are trying to to also move away from just relying on summative tests. I think that there are many American teachers who really understand the rationale for formative assessment, and I think that there's been a lot of progress that has been made in American schools. But I have to say that there are many uh, Finnish educators who are sort of I would say that they're just familiarizing themselves with formative assessment right now. In the book, you outline 33 strategies for the joyful classroom. And so I was wondering if you could share a, a few of your favorites or a few that you think might be good places to start for American teachers. 
You know, I'll start with the one that um, struck me the most when I uh, arrived in Finland, and that was giving kids breaks throughout the school day. You know, in the U.S., it's it's common to find you know schools that are just giving their kids twenty minute recess or a half hour recess during the day, and that's it. And it's funny when I when I tell Finnish teachers about that reality, they're shocked. They can't believe that that is the the reality in many American schools. And they can't understand that there are five-year-olds, that there are kindergarten students who are just getting 20 minutes of of break each day. And I have to say that when I came to Finland, I wasn't convinced of the the power of recess. I I didn't think that sort of giving kids time to just play made a difference. But then I, you know, I moved to Finland and I, I had this one, this, this is a story I tell in the book. I had a, what I started doing during my first week of teaching in, in, in Helsinki, I decided to, to have my students skip their 15 minute breaks. So not, not all the time, but I would, I had this habit of chunking two 45 minute lessons together. And then they'd take a break after um, sort of that hour and a half block. And I remember on the third day of school, after about 45 minutes or an hour of a lesson, I had one of my students, um, this, this blonde kid, he came up to me and he had this red rash on his forehead and he looked really upset. And he, and he told me that he thought he was about to explode and that uh, he, he told me that he wasn't used to this schedule. And so it was at that moment that I, I decided to sort of embrace this um, this Finnish way of uh, of giving giving breaks to kids, and I and I saw I saw a difference almost immediately. My my students were, you know, were, were taking regular breaks throughout the day, and I saw how much um, they were refreshed by them. So I think I I came to Finland not necessarily appreciating the break, and over time I I have have become a great believer in them. But I also realized that that sort of model is unrealistic for so many American teachers. It's hard for them to, to defend, you know, giving their kids multiple recesses throughout the day. And so what I, what I suggest in the book is giving kids choice time throughout the day. So that doesn't mean that the kids have um, absolute freedom to do whatever they want, but the teacher and the students can decide on several activities that they that the that the children find enjoyable and engaging, and that those kids could sort of um, choose those activities during a choice time as a break from their structured lessons. And so, I think that would be something that could be embraced by American teachers, and um, it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be as radical as sort of unleashing kids onto the playground, you know, every 45 minutes or so. Another strategy um, I I suggest is keeping the classroom space simple and uncluttered. I I found that in Helsinki, teachers were very careful about what they put up on the walls. Um, They weren't, they didn't crowd their their walls with with paper. In in the book, I, I share how I used to put up my first graders homework on on the walls. Um, and you know, I really had no discretion about what I, what I, what I put up in the classroom. And it was, 
it was um it wasn't pretty in my classroom and actually I, f- I found I found research that suggests that kids young children are distracted when we make our classrooms too crowded and too cluttered with stuff and so I, one of the strategies I suggest in the book is um, simplifying the learning space so being selective about um, what goes up on the walls and working with children to really be thoughtful and and so to to boost the learning to help kids stay focused and and also to to have more joy in you know having the kids be more proud of what goes up on the walls instead of just throwing up uh, throwing <laughs> kind of by uh, putting putting up uh, whatever <laughs> as you mentioned yeah my book is is uh it's composed of 33 different strategies that I sort of identified while I've been teaching and, and living in Finland. And, and all of them are inspired by the Finnish approach um, to education. I like those two because they, they sort of acknowledge that teaching is more than the, the act of instructing itself. It's about how you schedule your time, how you arrange the classroom. I am curious, are there some strategies in the book that relate to how you're communicating content to students. Is there a different way to do that in Finland? Actually, several of my colleagues would really push their students to justify their answers on summative tests. And so I'd, I'd see my colleagues, you know, creating their own, their own, uh, their own summative tests. And they would, um, would do something that was very simple they would push their students to provide sort of evidence to, to justify their answers. So they'd ask them open-ended questions and then they would ask their students to uh, kind of give evidence to support their, their, uh, their answer. And I thought that that was, that was a really effective practice. And it's something that, that, um, that helped me to design better assessments for my own students um, in Helsinki. And I found myself pushing my, my kids to think more deeply and I also found my, my students kind of exuding a healthy amount of pride about their tests. Like when they, when they were, they were actually, they, they almost seemed like happy when they would encounter these really difficult questions that I, that I posed to them or questions that made them think more. And so I think that that was, was just something that was very simple that my colleagues were doing, but it, it's something that seemed to make a difference. Um, another thing that I noticed my colleagues doing was giving kids a lot of time to do independent work, which sort of opened up the possibility to do more coaching um, in the classroom. And I was particularly inspired by those teachers who were kind of work, having kids work with their hands. So the, the, the teacher who was um, in the home economics classroom and the, the woodworking teacher and, and the textiles teacher who was you know, helping kids learn how to sew and knit. Those teachers worked like great coaches. Um, kids, kids were able to dive into projects. You know, they, they spent a lot of their time giving sort of one-on-one feedback. And I thought that that was a, just an excellent model. And I think it, it encouraged me to do more of that in, in my own teaching. And so in the book, I talk about how I redesigned my uh, English language arts lessons where I had my kids do a lot more uh, independent writing and, and where they would work on these bigger writing assignments. And, um, and I would offer coaching 
throughout those lessons and sort of have conferences with them while they were at different places in their writing assignments. So I think that's that's another aspect of, of my colleagues' approach that I really appreciate, just seeing them doing a bit bit more coaching than, than I was used to seeing in, in the States. So thinking back to your time in the U.S., are there challenges that you foresee for um, that may be articulated by American teachers trying to use these strategies? And is there any advice that you'd give them? Yeah, I think one of the one of the hardest things uh, may be collaborating more. You know, I, I I saw so much collaboration at my Helsinki public school, and you know, I think scheduling has so much to do with that. Finnish teachers have the benefit of you know these frequent breaks throughout the day, and so they're able to somewhat naturally plan and, and, and correct tests together and, and, you know, send emails to parents and, and talk about, you know, how they should respond to sort of a difficult uh, experience in their classrooms. I think that that is an area where many American teachers would love to, you know, would, would grow in, you know, collaboration, collaborating with more, more people at school. I, what, I, what I encourage teachers to do in the book is to maybe reframe the way that they see collaboration just to have a few minutes, you know, with your colleagues. So that means making the decision, you know, to, to eat lunch with your colleagues on a regular basis. Um, that means having a quick conversation about an email that a parent sent to you, which is, you know, which is sort of gnawing at you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it might just be a two minute conversation, but it's something that makes a difference. And that is collaboration. And so I think, I had this uh, perspective that collaboration needed to be sort of uh, intense and, and sort of uh, serious and, you know, it involved kind of uh, like a, a long, long block of time. And, you know, you're, you're sort of like opening up your curriculum materials and you're looking, pulling over the standards. And, but it doesn't have to look like that. Like, yes, you can, you know, that is collaboration too. But um, in the book, I titled the, the, the strategy Collaborate Over Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, just to just to sort of suggest that we can we can collaborate in casual ways and it makes a difference. Going back to this uh, the strategy of giving kids breaks throughout the day, you know, I, I think that I think it it would be yeah it would be very difficult for American teachers to totally you know change their their schedule and, and give kids um, free play blocks throughout the day. But I think, cho- I think choice time is, is, um, is something that, that can be done because those are choices that are still academic in nature, but they're, but they're ones that can be sort of less structured than, than uh, what kids would experience during lessons. And so those are choices that would refresh them and, and, uh, and sort of help them throughout the school day. What, what about advice as far as advocating for something different in our education system. So like, what might they say to their principals or skeptical parents who question breaks or informal collaboration? Is there anything you'd say to them with regards to advocating for, for joy or for well-being rather than, you know, those familiar metrics in the U S around achievement? I mean, I've heard researchers, uh, identify that, that actually well-being promotes academic achievement. So I think it's important for teachers to embrace that as well as that there, there is research that supports 
sort of prioritizing well-being in our in our classrooms. And I guess it's common sense, right? It's mm-hmm. common sense that when we take care of ourselves and when we take care of kids that, you know, that our kids will be able to achieve better results and that we'll be able to be better teachers as well. Throughout the book, I refer to different studies that support several strategies that I'm recommending. I think it's important for those teachers who sort of gravitate toward these strategies or sort of a different approach to education to familiarize themselves to familiarize themselves with the research out there, which which suggests prioritizing well-being actually promotes academic success, um, and that we need to pay more attention to well-being than uh, we we have historically speaking, um, or most recently in the United States. And if readers could have just one takeaway from the book, what would you hope it would be? So Finland may not impress us with flashy, innovative methods, but I think. You know, there's there's a lot that we can learn from Finnish schools, um, and you know I've talked a bit about this already. But so you know, so much of the emphasis is on the well-being of children, and I think that that's where I think that's where we can we can learn as American educators. I think we can be inspired by that as well. That that Finland Finland gets great has gotten great results on international standardized tests uh, such as the PISA, and they've done so while prioritizing the well-being of children. And so I think that, that that's an important takeaway for us all, that when we prioritize the well-being of children, we can also get those great academic results that we want as well. Tim, I, we've taken up a lot of your time, so I just wanted to ask you a couple more questions. First, what are three other books that you might recommend to listeners who've enjoyed our conversation and enjoy your book? Yeah, sure. I, I'd recommend Finnish Lessons uh, 2.0 by Posse Salberg. Um, as you mentioned before, Posse, Posse uh, wrote the foreword of Teach Like Finland, and he, he gives a great sort of policy level perspective on uh, Finnish schools. And um, Posse's book was one that I read early on when I uh, was teaching in Finland, and it really helped me make sense of the entire system and also some of the, the key differences um, between the Finnish system and, and other systems around around the world. And the other book I would I would recommend would be The Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda Ripley. And um, she follows a group of uh, American high school students to, to different countries. And, and one of the one of the countries where um, one high school student goes is Finland. And so I think her her book also give, would give readers a really interesting perspective on Finnish education. And then the, the final book I'd recommend would be The Well-Balanced Teacher by Mike Anderson. And um, this, this is an incredibly practical book geared toward American teachers. And I think his book is really helpful for helping uh, yeah, American teachers think, think through how they can sort of take better care of themselves. Finally, can you tell us a little bit about your next project and how our listeners can follow your work? Um, well, right now I'm, I'm working on a couple projects. Um, I'm working with a Finnish gaming company called Tale Studios, and uh, they've developed a fun early reading app for kids, and I'm helping them to develop it further. Also, this year is Finland's 100th birthday, and um, there are lots of different projects happening around the country. I'm working 
with a fifth grade teacher to teach an interdisciplinary unit about the world's uh, water crisis. And um, the unit will be filmed and then it's going to be published online. And I've had a lot of fun with that project so far. And then in the fall, uh, I'm really excited to return to teaching in Helsinki. Those sound like exciting projects, and it's, it's great to hear that you'll be returning to the classroom. Tim, it's been great having you on the show today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Tim. Take care.